0: yeah it's that's okay (laughs) it says it's calling hello we have connectivity can you hear her
1: now ross mom it's ross hello ross what's up you're on you're on the speech guys you're live on the speech guys
2: live on the speech guys awesome what's up
1: um well we're recording an episode we're about to record an episode
2: No, we are actively
1: recording an episode, Patty. We're actively recording an episode. That was Mike. Um, And we've started a new thing where we just call somebody that we know.
2: It's not new
1: anymore, Ross. (laughs) All right, we're at week like six. Um, We call somebody, a family or friend, to introduce the episode for us. So tonight, we were hoping you would introduce our episode.
2: Okay. I can do um, that.
1: the speech tonight is in the grouping called speeches by moms and it's called the ultimate makeover
2: okay the ultimate makeover
1: yep Um, technically it's ultimate makeover i don't think that conveys the
0: essence of the speech
1: (laughs) technically the title is ultimate makeover the transforming power of motherhood It's about mom. It's about motherhood. So, but to keep it short, we can just call it the ultimate makeover. Yeah, I've that. Well, I've got some different ideas for this title. Okay, Mike might change it. it. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, we just want you to introduce the number, the speech episode number, who's on the call tonight, and the title of the speech in whatever way you feel fit to do so. (sighs) Come on, Ross. Your mother
0: is not just a number. She's not just a peg. We're we're looking for (laughs) Patty to connect with the content. She's a mom, right?
2: Right, Patty. I am a mom. (laughs) I am a mom. Not only are you a
0: mom, you're a mom to two podcasters of two different podcasts.
2: Absolutely, Uh, three door dogs North and the Speech Guys.
0: How do you feel about that? What? Well, let's let's take a step back because Ross is still finding his way in the Speech Guys. What, what, because the Three Dogs North, now that's, that's a grand slam podcast. Those are, those got some followers. What, what do you think about uh, your son, Father Rob, being the host of such a popular and uh, one might even say influential podcast?
2: I'm just very proud of Father Rob and the podcasters of, let's see, it's himself and Connor and Michael Metz. And they're awesome guys. So I encourage everyone to listen to them. They have good (laughs) messages.
0: Was there anything you identified in Rob or Ross growing up which would make you say, hmm, yeah, I can see something of a podcaster in them?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, podcasting wasn't a thing when they were growing up.
0: (laughs) You guys had records.
1: You had phonographs, right?
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, but not really. Um, No, not at all.
1: Okay, so this is an interesting thing. So we're talking about speeches by moms, and obviously moms have to take care of people. So, well, you're probably taking care of dad right now. So, Mike, my dad has COVID right now. Oh, dear. Mom, how is dad feeling tonight?
2: He is about the same. Very fatigued and a very bad cough. Mm. But getting through it. You know, we're on day, what, day four, day five of this. So hopefully, hopefully, you know, see some improvement tomorrow. That's what we're hoping for.
0: Yeah. Summer's a bad time to have COVID. I had it in January. You know, one one might argue that was a good time, if there is a good time to have COVID. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's
2: it, if there is a good time. I did not realize you had it. Mike.
0: I did. I did. I would say I was a 7 out of 10 in terms of,
2: oh, in golly. Terms of
0: sense of well-being. But, okay. you know, just my mom, uh, speak on the topic of moms, look, they just connect to the speech episode in so many ways. She uh, she brought me some chicken noodle soup, some blueberries, some Ooh. medicine, which I generally don't like taking. But, you know, when you when life gives you lemons, you take medicine. Um, (laughs) things like that. So, yeah, my mom was, uh, my mom was there for me when I had COVID.
2: Which is awesome.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mom, I believe you also brought me food when I had COVID last summer, so.
2: I think, I I think we did, yes. I think we did.
0: Hey, Ross, we don't need to compete for who has the better mom.
1: (laughs) I mean. She brought me food (laughs) twice, Mike. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Or oh, maybe three times. Yeah, and ice cream, Mike. I mean, okay,
0: cream. everyone <laughs> calm down here. Let's <laughs> keep it civil.
2: <laughs> yeah. Ice cream was a bonus, right, Ross?
0: It was very well appreciated. Um, yeah. Very much appreciated. Yeah. So yes. with that, Patty, people hosting, episode number, and the title, Motherhood is Supposed to be Hard.
2: Okay. I'm going to introduce the speech guys tonight. Who are awesome guys and this is episode 27 and hosting tonight are Ross Johnson my son Mike Schaefer and Matt Schultz will be in soon and the title is motherhood is supposed to be hard but really motherhood is hard
0: Nice. I love that touch. Well and done. that is when I say, cue the music. Love you, Mom.
2: <laughs> love you too, you <laughs> Have a good one.
0: Thanks, Maddie. Get
2: Appreciate it. it. direction. It
3: will give you eyes. Give you hope. It'll give you perspective. I've been back and forth. And yeah, I had my crashes.
1: Every when you guys first presented speeches by moms, I kind of was like, eh, I wasn't super excited about it. Um, but then as I started looking into it, grew on me a little bit. Um, I had trouble picking the speech at first, I'll be totally honest. Um, but anyway, I ended up settling on this speech by Carrie Gress. Um, reason being, it's actually difficult, and the rest of you guys will find this out when you're doing your own research, if like if you search speeches by presidents, a lot of speeches come up. If you search anything. But if you do speeches by moms, just, just like it's just a vague search. All that comes up are mother of the bride speeches. That's it. Um <laughs> so anyway, I decided to start the quad as opposed to getting too particular, I would just kinda wanted to kind of talk about the topic of motherhood. Um, so I really wanted a speech that talked about motherhood and that was also difficult to find. But anyway, uh, long story short, Carrie Gress is, uh, a woman that's written books. I think she has a blog. She gives talks, um, primarily about motherhood. She's very well-educated. I think she's got a PhD. Um, and anyway, Julie has read some of her stuff and really likes it. So that's kind of what settled me on. I kind of decided Cary grass in this speech before I even listened to it.
0: Do you know how Julie discovered Carrie Grass? Yeah,
1: that's actually a good question. Um, I do not. That's a good question. She really likes... She's put out a couple books, Theology of Home and Theology of Home 2. Um, mm,
0: I've seen that on your shelf. I can verify it's there. A lot
1: about, like, I think literally the line below the title says, like, bringing the eternal to the everyday. So just, like, bringing purpose and meaning to the kind of uh just basic tasks a mom has to perform on a daily basis um anyway so i kind of thought that would be a good place to start the quad before we got too crazy specific just to let's talk about moms and motherhood and what that means um so that is where we got going um
0: Well, hey, with that, that's a good uh, setup here to go ahead and listen to a uh, little bit of that speech. Speech itself is about 30 minutes long, which we all listen to. I actually listen to two and a half times. Um, But, uh, yeah, we're just going to listen to a couple minutes of that speech, which uh, stuck out to Ross and I. So with that, let's go ahead and listen to that clip.
4: So, after I, I finished this book on Ultimate Makeover, I ended up writing my book uh, called Marry Marrying Option, and while I was researching that book, I had, I encountered this story about a priest, and this priest was, had been a farmer before he became a priest, and he understood how to how to work with nature, and how to grow a good crop, and the importance of dirt, and um, wind, and rain, and all of these kinds of things. and. But he also understood that this nature that grace built on nature, that you can, in order to get the supernatural, you have to work with the natural. So his concern was, how are we going to grow vocations? He didn't just look at it as, you know, just how do we convince men to be priests, but he thought, how can we grow vocations? And so what he did was he started a mother's group, a, a scripture study for, for women. And then he started a couples group, Bible study. Then he started a group for men. And then finally, he did um, groups with the parents and then with the children by themselves. And from there, he really started to get vocations, that there was this fruit that was happening because he started with the soil. He started with the women and um, ended up growing it. You know, the, the vocations followed from that. Well, I, what I think this, story illustrates is really just the idea that seeds are planted in us both spiritually but also physically and that as a result we are called to nurture and to cultivate our families and uh, those people that are in our, our sphere of life and and i think we can see just how vital mothers are especially when you see you know you hear the tragedy of a young a young mother dying we know that there's there are few things that can rattle a person more than losing a mother especially when they're young, and that's because the roots of the person haven't grown deeply enough. They still need nurturing from that mother, and that's, that's obviously something incredibly vital and important, and I don't think we really think of mothers in those terms, but um, there's a new book that just came out. I just read it a few weeks ago called The Culture Code, and you know, it's always nice when you have worked on an idea, and then it's sort of confirmed in a secular book. Um, but this book it is written by Daniel Coyle who's written, I think The Talent Code is what, is what it was called. It's a um, New York Times bestseller. But in and he looks at different cultures and what it is that makes them work. And he, um, he looks at Google, he looks at Pixar, he looks at the Navy Seals, he looks at the um, San Antonio Spurs, uh, just a whole array of different cultures. And he says that these cultures, he found them, many of them so infectious that he just didn't even want to leave. He just wanted to keep researching them because he was so, Um, motivated and and inspired by their work but he said what what these things have in common is just really that there is a sense of belonging and connection between the employees the the people also second they realize that they're part of a bigger story and third there's this safety and and that people can express themselves and really be who they are there's this very safe feeling that they, they all have Well, what does that sound like? It sounds like a family and it sounds like what the family is supposed to be doing. So it's it's actually kind of laughable if you think about it. Like, wow, he just discovered the family in a culture, you know?
1: Okay, Ross. All right. So before we start, you know, before three guys that aren't moms start talking about being a mom. (laughs) um... Yeah, this
0: is a no mansplaining episode. (laughs) No (laughs) mansplaining.
1: I know I just thought it'd be fun to kind of like give a one kind of give an ode or a shout out to our moms um, just for all that they did and have done and continue to do for us. Um, But also just to kind of have some share some good memories. So what are some just a memory or something you remember about your mom? It can be like how you picture her or things she did or just like a memory that pops up in your head.
0: Well, of course, I tried to articulate a, uh, a philosophy of motherhood for my mom <laughs> to, to weave these memories together. And I, I think there's sort of two broader statements that I'll mention before I go into the examples. Um, I would say emotional accompaniment and setting an example of doing what had to be done. I, I think those those stick out to me. Um, Setting an example of doing what had to be done. I mean, many people have characterized my mom as a jack of all trades. Now, let me clarify, because sometimes when we say jack of all trades, it means that like they're not good at anything. That That's not true. Um, I like, this is actually a very simple, easy to under, understand way to brag about her. One, she's a very talented painter, artist. But also, with uh, computer programming, with coding, you guys, you guys remember like those boot locker things on computers, like your screensaver that locks... It's just like what Windows has, sure. but like as the name implies, boot locker, boot locker. No one's getting in. And so my grade school principal, whom she did a little bit of computer work for at the school, he he forgot his boot locker password, which. Like, the whole point of those things is to make them impossible to get into without your password. And this all happened in seventh grade. And I remember Russ, he was my um, basketball coach as well. He uh, came up to me at basketball practice that day afterwards. And he said, your mom is a genius. I forgot my password and she got through this bootlocker thing. Okay. Um... (laughs) connected that to a previous point jacking all trades i just wanted to qualify the jack of all trades uh, statement there um examples of doing what had to be done a lot of very cold nights in the barn birthing sheep and bottle feeding sheep i know that farm life growing up that you guys you guys weren't a part of you guys were off doing your own thing and elsewhere in (laughs) illinois hosting hosting the famous win a fish stand the St. Joe Parish picnic and going to extreme lengths to stock the fish bowls wading among them but not limited to wading through muddy ponds buying min- minnows at the bait shop am i saying her up for fraud here i write in parentheses for this note last second runs to petsmart to buy more goldfish now it's like <laughs> none of these things obviously were Being done like exactly to be a mom, per se, in the same way, like you know, a good mom makes soup for you when you're sick or something. But there are good examples of taking a tremendous, like, leadership role in the community, in the church community and school community, because she and my dad, too, you know, recognize the importance of building up a very rich and contributing, um, uh, just culture of service, culture of participation in in the place where he grew up. So so in that particular way, I think she really stood out as a mom. There are other things, too. 4-H, being president, cross-country meets, things like that. So anyway. That's... I liked
1: your story about how she would run at your cross-country meets. Oh, really? That I thought was <laughs> fun. Yeah, I liked that
0: yeah i mean yeah a lot she she kind of had a a cluster i mean she's still friends with them but a cluster of some of my uh teammates moms who yeah took uh supporting us very seriously she might roll her eyes listening to this like i didn't run that much well she definitely ran more than uh a lot of other uh parents cheering cheering people on but yeah dang. I know, this ain't this ain't football, Ross. Moms don't just sit in the stands clapping their hands with their hot cocoa. Moms got to stretch out before a cross-country meet. Limber up.
1: Matt, any memories of your mom? Um,
3: well, when you first – well, I kind of read your list you wrote, Ross, and just kind of got me thinking about – I mean, obviously every – I mean, not every mom. I mean, a lot of moms do make a lot of sacrifices in the day-to-day. A couple – Like I remember standing out as like, oh, of course moms do this as a kid. But like looking back, it's like, holy smokes. Like the patience this woman had um, was just incredible. So there is is a stretch where there was – it was Tuesday night. We called it Crazy Tuesday. And it was a night where I had football practice. My sister had dance class. My other sister had something. Like we were driving all across town. And at the time, I was just like, oh, this is taking forever. Why doesn't Mom drive?" You know, like kind of the normal, like ungrateful child things that you just that don't That light was understand. green, Mom. That light was green. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like looking back, like I now that I know where all of those things are, and like the actual effort it takes to like do all of that, um, yeah, just holy smokes, just the uh, and just knowing how we behaved at times as kids, um. Yeah, just certainly gives a whole new appreciation. Um, not that my, my mom did a lot more than drive for us, but I guess the driving, <laughs> the driving things particularly seem to stand out. But uh, I know my junior year, uh, the football coaches decided that afternoon or after school workouts weren't good enough. We needed to go before school. So, uh, yeah, we'd, my mom would have to drive me um, at like 530 in the morning to to school, to do these workouts and stuff. So it's like something she totally, yeah, I mean, didn't exactly have to do. Um, I would have been pretty upset if that were the case because it would have made me look like even more of a schmuck than I already was on the football team. But, but yeah, no, like just very supportive on that front. And a memory I thought or I remembered, uh, actually Claire and I were talking about this. Uh, This is – I'm recording live from her parents' house. Um, but a memory Claire and I, or I just relayed to Claire as we were driving. Um, so my mom would, we, so we'd have birthday parties as kids. We'd invite, you know, a handful of friends, you know, somewhere between five and eight friends or so. Um, and so this is, you know, maybe five, age five to eight. And she would go through all this effort to plan these, like, I mean, looking back, they're kind of silly games, you know, like. Pin the monkey on the, or pin the tail on the monkey, um, or uh, just random charades things. There was one that we looked back on fondly. And I don't know where the heck she even got this idea from, but she popped a bunch of popcorn, and it was like scattered in this one part of our yard. And the goal was to stuff a sock full of popcorn as fast as you could. Basically, just like huh. she must have gotten that from like cheap kids games quarterly or something. But but, uh, but yeah, just like the effort she went um, with just creating like fond, even albeit kind of goofy, um, things like that, just to like to make our birthday special. Like that was something she really enjoyed doing. And
1: Yeah, I think my memories like, <clears throat> I think kind of like you guys, like just kind of mom doing so many things at home, like laundry, appointments, running us all over the place, like all that type of stuff. Um, I think some things that stick out, Like, I distinctly remember her staying up late to finish laundry. Like, if everyone else went to bed, she would, like, work on laundry. And it's, like, looking back, it's, like, she totally didn't want to be staying up till whatever hour of night doing laundry. But, like, that's what she did because she was going to get it done. Um, And then I also remember um, she didn't miss, like, you know, first grade. It's the Halloween party today that type of stuff you know we need some parent volunteers to come help with snacks whatever or the kids are going on a field trip to so-and-so today just school things like that how she was very willing um she was just always at those things and you know had several kids in the home so it's not like it was the only thing she could have been doing that day um so those are just some things that i think stick out when i first thought like oh what are some memories of mom like as a mom um yeah, those are the, the staying up really late to do laundry and just making such an effort to make sure she was at all the field trips and class parties and things like that. All right. So our moms rock. They do sounds like at least, um, Landon's, I don't know. I
0: mean, you know, you gotta be here to speak for your mom.
1: <laughs> Noreen, Noreen is a an angel. Noreen's an angel. We'll say that for, her. um, but all right. So how about now, like all of those are from our kids. What about now that I don't know. Do you guys think, obviously our relationships have changed with them, I mean, in some ways now that we're adults, but yeah, I guess where have you seen that change or how do you view them differently? So one
3: moment I know that kind of changed things and this is maybe not how like, I don't know, I think it has changed our relationship to some degree. It's hard to come up with a tangible thing that's different, but um, I know when Abe was born. Um, I mean, everyone says like, "Oh, you fall in love with your kids, whatever." Like, it, you know, you like parents love their kids. That's kind of, I don't know. I guess they, to some degree, took that as a given. Like, you, whatever. But just like how madly and how deeply you fall in love with this tiny human being, like when they're born, was just uh, to experience it firsthand was just like, uh, yeah took me back and it was just like a really amazing experience. Um, and then just like, I know, I remember in the hospital room, one of those, yeah, the first day or two, um, just like contemplating like, Oh, like this is what my parents felt at one point, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of extrapolating that and just having been like, and yeah, just remember like, a yeah, just feeling a lot of gratitude for them. Um, and just like, dang, like this is like all that stuff they did and felt and said like was no joke, you know, because I'm feeling it a little bit more now um, and experiencing some of that myself. So, um, yeah, I know that was like one moment where I felt like I understood my parents better and understood like, yeah, just the sentiments and um, the sacrifices they made. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know how I
0: answer that. Um well i mean what i noted was you know a lot of these things i just mentioned before it's sort of just echoing what you guys said where you take them for granted when you're growing up in just a very like practical way like that that's just how it is that's what moms do um it's very much like this is water you know by david foster wallace it's like Mm yeah you're you're in this water without realizing what it is yeah um and in the you know continuing with that metaphor right david foster wallace's whole point is that once you realize what water is it gives you this tremendous capacity and um precision with which you can operate within reality so applying that to being in in the mom water <laughs> right you you gain a more comprehensive and texture appreciation for the ways in which your mom engaged and continues to engage with your life and in the same way it allows you to engage more effectively and more comprehensive and comprehensively more more deeply with life um Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just to answer the question, I mean, things that characterize my mom and I's relationship today, um, annual golf outing, she's actually also started climbing, I am proud to say. I won't say her age, won't say her age, but I will say it is not below 40. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that should be clear since she would have only been seven years old if she... (laughs) <laughs> 40. Um uh boom Yeah, I mean I think we talk more like philosophy, religion type stuff now than when growing up. Uh although we did back then too. I remember one like memory that sticks out to me which she mentioned of some years ago. She was sitting we were sitting. there was lots of time sitting in cars with her. Mm. Uh, waiting for someone to come out of school or something, or basketball practice. And I, I think she'd been having like a p- particularly hard day sort of wrestling with some dimension of who God was. And as I'm told, I was maybe four or five years old, I had like stuck my head out the window of the car and then brought it back in and I told my mom, or I asked my mom, "Can God hear us?" Like at the same time that she was, she was wondering this, this particular thing, which I suppose was only echoing the question, not giving an answer. But <laughs> maybe it was God saying everyone wonders the same thing. But so anyway, there's, there's just a little bit of a little few nibbles on aspects of our relationship so you were
3: mansplaining to your mom as a four or five
1: year old (laughs) yeah i think something i've noticed is um with my mom like i think she really in a good way identifies as being a mom if that makes sense i think that's really good and it's important and it's a huge part of why um i think she was is a great mom um and I think it fits well. we'll hopefully when we talk about the speech later. some one of the things that Carrie Grass talks about in the speech is like motherhood changes you. Um, and it, I don't know. So maybe I don't, I didn't know my mom before she was mom, obviously. But um, like even now as an adult, I feel like I can still see like, yeah, she's still a, a mom. If that makes sense. It's not just something that you do for a time and then it goes away. Um, so just a couple examples. Like I remember when I was in college, um, especially my first couple years like she, we would a lot of times we, or we just bring our laundry home and Mama would do our laundry and looking back it was like well i mean maybe i was just a super lazy college kid and had the um and that was a huge part of it honestly but um in some ways i don't i don't want to say she enjoyed it and like it was fun but um and I don't even say this jokingly. Like, in some weird way, I think she, like, liked that. Sure,
0: that sure. Sense. I'm.
1: Um. Or, like, maybe a little bit easier. Like, the other a couple weeks ago, we were out at my parents' house um, on an evening where I had to go to work the next day. So we, we were going to drive home, but we stayed there later than we normally would. And we just put the pajamas on the kids and let them fall asleep on the way home. And Mom made a comment, like, hey, Ross, can I make your lunch for tomorrow? And maybe she was totally just being sacrificial and was like, I'm going to hate doing this, but it almost <laughs> sounded to me like, I don't know. It almost sounded like, Hey Ross, I would like to make your lunch tomorrow. If that makes sense. Um, and I do you know, I just kind of use those two examples as a point. Like even now, even though I'm a fully functioning adult, like she's still a mom, if that makes sense. So I guess that's supposed to be how our relationship changed was the question, but that's just something that's kind of stuck out to me as an adult that she still really identifies with that. And, You can see it, like, with my kids and my nieces and nephews and stuff. She's more than willing to jump in, you know, and change a diaper or just things like that. Um, So, I don't know, that's something that, I guess that's not necessarily my relationship with her changing, but something I've seen as an adult is just how much of her is, yeah, is mom, if that makes sense. So, that's um, kind of the best way I can think to articulate that. She's
3: just momming as mom. She's just
1: momming.
0: So, sort of a a natural way to sort of float from these personal memories to the speech. um, Before we started recording, sort of, um, Ross and I were talking about a book that Julie has on her bookshelf called Theology of Home, Theology of the Home, that Carrie Grass wrote, right?
1: Yeah, that's the woman who gave the speech. Yeah, that's it. And.
0: You know, it's like being, being a mom, being a lot of different things, but since the speech is opening up the mom speech series, um, we'll focus on this dimension. Being, being a mom takes a tremendous amount of, of faith, right? It, it requires like the same muscles. And what I mean by that, it's, it's not like you are at some point convinced through the set of data that being a mom to X number of children in these particular ways is the most important, profound, effective way for you to live out this life, right? Rather, it's, it's this thing that has, I think, I'm just speculating, has many of like the same sort of religious qualities as, as faith in God, faith in, faith in Christ, where it's, well, I don't know. We we need to have a mom speak about it. this. Is a no mansplaining <laughs> zone, right? But but maybe that's enough for you guys. To sort of like get a get a sort of vibe of what I'm getting at. Where it's something that seems that that you live into. That in the same way as religion engages all of these different faculties. That it so, sometimes can feel just very like awkward and goofy, and weird and stressful. And at other times, of course, being very, very fulfilling and satisfying and meaningful, right? But with the same ways like religion or like the more explicit notion of faith or traditional notion of faith is like you obviously can't just engage or say that it's only worthwhile when it's like the meaningful stuff going on, right? Because... You know, when Ross is yelling at his mom for folding his underwear north to south <laughs> instead of south to north, you know, <laughs> like, Patty has to find a way to deal with that in in these very um, profound ways. For my, for my mom, growing up, faith was a very important thing. She went to uh, St. Mary's Catholic grade school in Notre Dame High School. Um... Right, so obviously this this faith muscle was trained and strengthened her in her in a very substantial way, which, as I've sort of made the case, motherhood is, in a sense a very similar kind of faith muscle, and with this book like Theology of Home, it's even getting more into the particular details of what is the philosophical or spiritual story of the life that i am trying to develop for my family right and the whole point of course is that you read this book and you cultivate this notion it it helps give you this particular path as as a mom maybe as a dad too because i'm sure this book is pertinent to dads too So the sort of like come away, take away platform to walk off of here for conversation is to what extent, and Carrie Gress talks about this in different ways, I guess, in her speech. To what extent is our individual's capacity to mother today diminished by a lack of, I'll put it very simply, a faith muscle? and let's just say it's not diminished okay how else is that uh faith muscle being flexed and trained for mothering how might it be how how might your your um how might someone answer that who isn't necessarily spending a lot of time with faith type stuff well i think like the you made an
3: allusion to like the this is water speech um by david foster wallace and i think that might be that analogy like the this is water um i know like one of the things that we talked about with that is like i think one of our final questions was about like what's our water right what are the what are mm. the things mm. kind yeah. of around us in our lives that are so present um that it's easy to see through it and forget about it and not notice like the meaning and significance that's there and i think but that's also kind of like, at least from what I recall of the speech, like that's kind of where he said you are sanctified. And he didn't use the term sanctified, right? He had some other secular kind of like phrase for it. But like that's that's where things happen, right? And the alternative is basically you're the sort of unconscious, unthinking, you know, android robot that's just kind of aimlessly meandering through life. Um, So like how does that, I feel like the the faith aspect kind of just highlights um, and just like calls attention to the water that like often is like motherhood, you know, the drives to and from football or baseball practice, like the laundry late at night, you know, the the lunches in the morning and things like that, Um, all of the kind of myriad of seemingly petty ways that like, you know, bring a lot of meaning, you know, and, and that. Uh, Carrie Grass kind of alluded to in her speech. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know that my mom certainly like would talk about faith as like essential to her motherhood and essential to, um, yeah, just to her living that out. And like, because that is where she's sanctified, you know. That is like, I mean, her being a mother is like crucial to, yeah, the vow that she made when she got married and, like, the vow that she essentially promised just by, like, birthing a child and, and, you know, that sort of stuff. Like, all right, like, God has put this person in my care. You know, I'm a steward of this soul for however long, you know. Um, I guess I kind of got lost in terms of, like, the specific question. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, all right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I feel I like i Well, that-
0: okay, I'll, I'll re- I'll, I'll real articulate yeah. briefly just for Ross's sake and whatever extent for your sake, just, but being, I think being a good mom, one could argue requires a certain amount of faith. And so is faith becomes a less in the traditional sense, a rest relevant, relevant factor in society. What does that mean for motherhood for sure. in the future? Yeah.
1: So I'll say two things. So my first one is to kind of say like, I feel like to kind of, sh- see more to how they're similar is it's easy to see how just life I don't know I not I'm trying to be all wise but like as I've aged which I'm not that old yet like it's just something I've realized is just how hard life is and how it's not picture perfect dreamy all the time like you think it will be when you're you know in college um and I think it's easy to let just the difficulties, or not even the difficulties, but the busy, the busyness, I think. And that type of thing distract you from seeing like the meaning or the how aware faith is in your life or where God is working in your life. And then it's kind of the same similar and the fact that those same things make it hard to see. I think sometimes what is so important about motherhood. So like, I guess, to try to connect them better. It's it's easy when you get, I'll be honest, like even as a religious person, like it's easy to, if you get really busy and you've got a lot going on to kind of quote unquote forget about God for a little bit. And then when you don't think about him, thinking about him, it's easy to fall into the, well, where's God working in my life? Why isn't he helping me? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I feel like if you're in a little bit better place and not frustrated, you know, maybe a little bit more at peace at the time like that, it's a little bit easier to kind of look back and then see oh, that's where God is working my life. So I don't know if that's an absolute rule or not. I'd have to think about that more. But I kind of think motherhood is the same in the sense of when you're kind of, quote unquote, in the dirty, you know, doing the work. It's probably very easy to forget how important it is what you're doing. Um, And maybe I don't want to take back everything I said five minutes ago about how mom likes doing things for me. But it's very like just seeing Julie be a mom, like it's not always fun and you don't always want to do the things that you're asked to do. Um, and you do them anyway, and that's probably part of why it is sanctifying. Um, but And I think that's part of what Carrie Gress is talking about when she talks about how motherhood changes you, and it brings virtues out of you that otherwise wouldn't be there. Um, and I think in some ways faith does kind of a similar thing, um, or, you know, belief in God or trying to live a certain life or something like that. How would it be impacted, to try to get to your question a little bit, like how is maybe less faith in the traditional sense, um, how is that going to impact motherhood? I think faith in a very strong way, most religions I think would argue very strongly for the importance of motherhood. Um, you know, um, I did not look this up, so. but I mean, if you, I mean, if you just want to look up what re, what, type, what groups of people on some sort of religious lines have the most kids, I bet you'd find mostly religious people. Um, and I think that faith does show the value of motherhood. So without that, I don't want to speak to it too much because I haven't looked into the numbers, but I, would, I wouldn't I would be shocked if you just find that. you have, What kind of effect does it have? I think you'd just see less motherhood, if that makes sense. Fewer kids, more people choose not to have kids things like that yeah
3: and I think I mean I know Ross you posted like fertility rate data and um, you taste you posted like the US numbers I posted like some of the worldwide numbers and yeah I mean there is a lot <laughs> a lot less motherhood um, yeah like I guess it's harder to, I think it would be a lot harder to see the meaning to see the um, kind of see the water you know, appreciate the water of, of like a lot of the things a mother's asked to do and the sacrifices she's asked to make, like, holy smokes, just like, um, just seeing Claire go through what she went through just with pregnancy and labor, like that alone, like, you know, like, all right, I'm never going to not listen to you again. You know, it was like a, a, a sentiment I had at that moment, you know, or shortly thereafter. And, um, and just like the attachment, and, like, just her experience parenting is, like, totally different than mine. Not because of, like, accidental things. Just, like, I think they're very much tied to her being a mother. And I'm sure you have, like, experiences with this too, Ross. But, like, Claire will sense when something's wrong and she'll just, like, act on it. Like, before I'm even aware. Mm. Um, can, you, can you give an example of that? <clears throat> well, so Claire was always, like, a fairly sound sleeper. Um, we were both very sound sleepers. But like Abe's born – he'll wake up three, two, three times a night and I'll have no idea because Claire is just like on it. She – like the second she hears his his voice or something's wrong, like she just kind of steps in and like knows what to do. Like I'm not trying to be a, la- a lazy husband. It's not like I hear him at night and ignore him. I just straight up don't hear him because Claire always does, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't know – like maybe she's – I mean – yeah maybe she's a lighter sleeper maybe there are other explanations for that um but um but yeah like there are definite other member like memory situations like feeding him like how like claire how do you know this you know (laughs) like
1: yeah i think julie's very much better at me at like recognizing just the state of things with kids so um like she kind of makes fun of me for like getting them riled up right before bed, that type of thing, you know, like why would you wrestle with the kids right before you want to put them down for bed? But just like things like that. I don't know. I feel like just recognizing, Hey, you know, we should probably start wrapping this up because even though it's still pretty fun, like you're in about five minutes, it's not gonna be very fun or just, I don't know. I feel like, She's just so on top of things or if it's like, oh, yeah, it's lunchtime. I should probably start making the kids lunch. It's like Julie's probably already started or just I think yeah. she's just more. I don't know if that's an intuition thing or maybe some of it's experience because she's home with them more than me, um, but probably a combination of those. Um, but I think there's just things like that she seems to be good at and better at than me um, to kind of talk to the first question a little bit more if we move on to. I don't think it's impossible. I mean, I don't think it is. I don't think we're saying it's impossible. Like, if people aren't religious or don't have faith, like, I feel like they could see a lot of the same things that we're saying. Um, just, just merely on the kind of obvious importance that motherhood has on raising children, which are they going to contribute to society. Um, but I think I do agree that faith of some sort would make it easier, I think, to kind of go all in on that if that makes sense but
0: right yeah <clears throat> yeah I mean just to briefly uh, tidy up that thought I mean as we sort of discussed in other podcast episodes I mean faith faith never disappears in society um, well <laughs> let me put a different spin on it uh, I think faith either becomes faith in something else or it just becomes inert um I think that we tend to think in our modern world that it's 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 transformed into reason in most people um and i I certainly don't th- i I can see case circumstances where someone might think that were the case but um yeah anyway that's just to tidy up that point a little bit but yes, we are not saying that atheists cannot be great moms <laughs> but we are saying that mm, be, the we should I- make
1: that the t- we should make that the title and see how many clicks it yeah,
0: is. there we go just go straight provocateur <laughs> the idea of being a mom relies, one might say on a significant amount of faith and being a religious person is kind of flexing that faith muscle which might be helpful yeah. so.
3: Yeah, okay. well, and, yeah, No, I would, I mean, and there's such a deep and, um, like, thorough framework with which to think through the, th- like, the parts of motherhood that are unsavory, you know, like, the suffering aspect, like, mm. yeah, faith actually tries to answer the question of, like, suffering and why
0: that's the case, you know? So, that that's a good point to spin off on the the title of this episode that came from uh Carrie Gress's speech. Um oh Matt also wrote it down as your first one. Uh her quote somewhat early on, motherhood is supposed to be hard. And briefly it's like, well, I mean everything. There's a lot to be said for everything supposed to be hard, but in like different ways, right? Um You know, it just is like is a thought experiment there there is like a lot of power in that idea like how much, how much resist internal resistance do we create for anything? In this case, motherhood or fatherhood, more relevant to us, uh, God willing for one of us. Um, how much internal resistance do we create when we expect or maybe just want a little bit too much for something to be easy? So, in a, a good, I think a good example of that you know going back to running as we so often do right if you're you know if you're getting set up to run just one mile or something and the idea is to do the very best that you can you are not going to do the best that you can if you do not believe going into this time mile that it's supposed to be hard right if you have this idea, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this mile because, you know, it's, it's something people do and la lie la, Law's like, no, you're you're not going to be able to run well. You're not going to be able to be invested in the experience and when, you know, 47 seconds into this time mile, when things start to hurt really bad, you're just going to back off and you're, you know, you're just going to sort of mosey on through through the event. Um, so, yeah, really articulating... Very specifically, very explicitly, the idea that motherhood is supposed to be hard, the way Carrie Gress expressed it, I think was a a substantial thing, a striking thing, that I don't feel like we hear about a lot today. Like, just... And, you know, that's not even to say, like, you have to become a a full... um, full-on conservative to believe that motherhood is hard but like i i get the vibe like some journalists on npr like if someone said that they'd be like oh no oh no i'm not voting for trump (laughs) and maybe that's a little unfair maybe as i dig through my brain like i can imagine little bits that sort of point in that general direction but i feel like i feel like we could hear more of that sort of thing
1: yeah, I think kind of the idea, I mean, I think you kind of got at it a little bit, like your running example, which got me a little fired up. I was kind of thinking about how fast can I get a mile done? Um, but um, just the idea that I think a lot of times meaningful things are difficult. Um, and I don't know, I'm picturing something extreme like Band of Brothers or something, right? They went through just the most extreme of circumstances and obviously came out changed. Um and I think in some, it's just that when you go through difficult things, it challenges you and it you know forces you to become better. I think motherhood is such a particular way because I think, I mean, a lot of reasons. I mean, I think it literally affects every part of a woman. It affects their body. Mm. It affects their mind. It sucks your time. It sucks your mental energy. It sucks your resources. Um, you lose sleep. You don't look the same after you have a kid. I mean it just it affects every part of who you are if that makes sense so I think it's just such a literally life-changing thing it's so difficult and in sadly too many ways it's just kind of like we said there's so many tasks that on the surface seem meaningless even though I think we would all argue very strongly that they are some of the most meaningful things that you'll do during the day you know thankless job just you mean you could go on and on so I think it, I think why this talk, I feel like this talk made me a better man just listening to it. Um, it, it would be just, I wish more people would listen to it. Because I would imagine, I mean, just like watching some of the struggles that Julie's gone through as a mom, and Matt, I'd like to hear more about your example about Claire and like feeling pressured to go back to work and things mm-hmm. like that. I feel like it's one of those things, that's like you're going through one of the most hard things in your life, and it's supposed to be hard kind of like we said earlier, like it's, it changes who you are, you know? Um, and I just think that I think Carrie Gress does a really good job of explaining that it's supposed to be hard, but not making it sound scary. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense, almost sounding not necessary, like literally you like have to have a kid, but, um, just so important and uh, such a good thing for somebody Um, So even though it's supposed to be hard and you could go on and on and on about why it's so hard, but she doesn't, I don't know, just after listening to that talk, I don't think a lot of people would want to shy away from it, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, I thought it like, yeah, it brought courage and it reminds me of like, um, I guess parts of Lord of the Rings where Frodo is like finding out how like dangerous the thing is he's doing, but like. At the same time, like just having some sort of like meaning behind it, like gives him new courage to like do what he's gonna do. Um, and I guess kind of another analogy to just like stories in general. I think that that was in, like so. This came from a five, six-year-old kid. So nieces and nephews were staying over. Uh, they wanted uh, to hear a story. Um, I didn't want to get out a bunch of books and turn lights on and rile them up. So. Um, I just was tell- made up a story, right? So I started telling this story about a picnic. I guess it might- it's one that my dad said that he would tell us, and it was just this very nice picnic story, like where nothing really crazy happened. And like, so I started telling this, and got maybe I don't know partway through, and then uh, so my nephew Isaac um, says, "Wait, is anything bad gonna happen?" like just cuts up basically this story's boring what the heck's going on so at that point i was like yeah just give me a second so then i made up some part about a bird you know stealing the picnic lunch and dad made a lasso and rode the bird around you know all this like crazy stuff right um so i feel like it's something that's kind of innate in us that like we do know that bad things need to happen in order for life to be meaningful and interesting, you know, or things need to be hard. Yeah. Um, even as like a kid, you know, like that's a boring story. Nothing bad happens, <laughs> you know, um, like there's no villains. There's no battles. There's no love stories, you know, where your heart's almost broken, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's kind of a, I thought, a pleasant that's- example of like
1: what you guys are saying about things supposing to be hard. I just looked at it. I mean, this is actually a quote from the speech. Carrie Gress said, you can't become virtuous without being challenged. Um, and yeah, I just, yeah, just, I think we all, we all know that that's true and it's just cool to see it kind of in this kind of different context than maybe three guys would maybe think about it. Um, I think something which I, I don't want to, I said, I, was, I don't want to take Matt's mm-hmm. thought about like the work thing, but I think something that's interesting too um just about motherhood and just how it's viewed today maybe i definitely think there is a it's like a pressure on women to work in some ways um and trying to think how to articulate this well because i'm not trying to speak negatively about anybody but like so my wife for example she grew up her mom worked as well as the dad as a two you know two income household her mom was successful she was a manager at a company um And then Julie, she went to University of Illinois, got a degree in engineering, which is a very, you know, reputable, a a good degree from a good school. Um, Went out her first job. She made more money than I did. And then she quit to stay home with the kids when we got married and had kids. And it's I just think that's interesting because I feel like even she um, maybe falls in the temptation a little bit. Like, you know, is it worthwhile what I'm doing? Because I gave up, you know, she could have been working a job making well over $100,000, you know. And it's just like I think there's a little bit of a I think she knows it's not true, but like just that temptation comes, you know, am I wasting that, you know, staying home with the kids? And I think something that Carrie Aggress does well, and at least I mean, the book Theology of Home is like showing how no like what she's doing is so meaningful. And that's not to say that you can't work. Because I mean, I think she even said it in one of the Q&A questions, like some interesting research has come out that like the happiest women are those who have kids and do something outside the home or something like that. But um, I just think that in today's world, that's an easy temptation to fall into. And I think I'm sure that that's hard to deal with, you know, just so many, so many different, you're getting told so many things as a woman, I guess that that was probably hard to deal with.
0: Ross, was it discussed that you would stay at home with the kids? Or that no one would stay at home with the kids, or anything in between.
1: We never really discussed it. I mean, I would be okay with it, honestly. Julie's always said she wanted to stay home when they're little, which in some ways just makes sense from a practical standpoint, because we knew we wanted to have quite a few kids. And, like, when they're breastfeeding and stuff, fetches heart. Like, not that you can't pump and all that stuff, but, like, in some ways it's easier, I guess, um, for her to do it. And then we knew we were going to have multiple kids. Um, so it was kind of an easy, like, yeah, that just kind of makes sense. So, no, we never have discussed it seriously. I think I would be open to it, though, if we felt like that was best. Um, I have a good – I have a friend who that's what they do. The wife, His wife works and he stays home with the kids. Matt, on that same mm-hmm. question.
3: Yeah, I guess for, for Claire and I, I mean, she was like – she was very willing to do that. Um one, I think her job in the emergency department um, is a very stressful one. And, like, there is no way you could work full-time in an emergency department. I don't think – well, I mean, there is a way. I know people do it. Um, but, like, that would just be a very, very big challenge. Like, pumping in, a like, an emergency department is uh, – yeah, would be a monumental task, I, I would think. Um, just, like, the stress you're dealing with. Like your employer is supposed to make time and set aside a space for that, but like how do you do that in an emergency department when someone's like bleeding, you know, bleeding out and like, oh, well, we actually need a body here. Like you need to, you know, like you can't actually do this right now. Um, it's not like they're gonna give her fewer patients, you know? So it's it's a, an unfortunate situation on that regard, um, just the reality of what she would have had to deal with. Um, And she was, yeah, I think for us it was obvious I was making more money than she was Um, anyway, so like financially it made sense as well. Um, And like Ross said, just like a lot of the practicalities, breastfeeding, things like that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, for us it was, I think, a fairly easy, straightforward decision. Um, But initially, like our plan was for Claire to go back to like one shift a week, Um, and her department was, they needed people. Um, and she was in a good position to negotiate that. Um, so she was able to get like a one shift a week, uh, position made for her in in the emergency department. Um, and, um, but yeah, just as like Abe was getting older, he wasn't eating great. Um, there are just a few other stressors, um, regarding that, that like Claire didn't really want to risk like him not growing and developing well, um, by like just messing with the schedule and the feeding and pumping like, and all that. Um, so she just decided to like, yeah, basically stop working for now. Um, so Claire's been at home full time with Abe, uh, since he was born and, um, yeah. And, but the thing like, I know Ross, you kind of asked about this a little bit earlier. Um, and that's definitely been something Claire has struggled with. Like not to share too many of the details, like of what we've discussed and stuff, but I know she has had a lot of like frustration with, um, just feeling undervalued and, you know, people kind of ask her with the assumption, Oh, when are you going back to work? Like, Oh, when you, you know, Oh, how's work going since it, you know, like people just kind of assume, you know, uh, that that's going to happen. That like, Oh, of course you're working. You're a nurse. You've got a degree. Like, isn't that what everyone does, you know? And, um, yeah, I think, I mean, even Claire, someone who's, like, deeply faithful, deeply values family, someone who, like, I know has read Carrie Gress books, <laughs> you know, and has listened to Carrie Gress talks. Like, it got at her, you know, and it made her, like, question, like, crap, like, is this meaningful? Am I doing the right thing? You know, like, um, and that was definitely a stressful situation for her, you know, just kind of, like, dealing with those pressures um, and not not really feeling... I mean she feels very supported in terms of like her family's very supportive, my family's very supportive, she's got a good friend group that um like have similar values and like yeah, like she the individuals in her life are very supportive but just like feeling like a culture is, is a very pressuring like a uh, different directions. Um uh that's yeah, it is difficult for her at times, uh, that she's uh yeah, just to, to kind of Really dive in and, and embrace um, the difficulties of motherhood and that Carrie Grass kind of talked about
1: I want to share one thing real quick before we might tidy this thought up and move on to a kind of a different end, but um <clears throat> something that sticks out to me, and I know obviously we're talking about the importance of motherhood and the role the mom has in the kids' lives and things and I mean, I think none of us are saying that right you shouldn't be able to work or not we're not that's not the point we're trying to make um. You know, my mom helped out at the store a lot when I was a kid because my parents own their own business. And Julie's going to has said she would like to go back to work eventually and things like that. So I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not trying to make the point like women always need to stay home. But I something that sticks out to me, um, I was still working at the hospital as a physical therapist at the time. Um, and one of the women was pregnant and very far along. Like it was I think she was literally like it was one of those like any day now, like we might just be going straight up to the seventh floor. Because there's probably not time to go. If you're going to labor now, we're not. She's not going to drive home and just come back. Um, and she was working though, because our company, I mean, you get the 12 weeks off that you know the federal law requires, but like you didn't get paid while you were off. So women at my work would always take PTO, so they would always work right up to literally the day of birth, so that they would have the full as much PTO as possible um, for the time they were going to take off after the child was born and i remember she was so miserable because it's a manual job i mean you're going up and down stairs all day carrying walkers all day getting patients out of bed and i mean she was 9 months pregnant and she was so miserable she was in the doc, she was in the um, office trying to do her notes at the end of the day she had a wet towel wrapped around her neck so her shirt was just drenched and she was just like pouring sweat mm. and i remember thinking i literally almost walked up to her and said like go home like, I don't care what, like, it's said today, but, like, this is not what's best for women. If this mm. is what we're making you go through is to the point where you have a cold towel around your neck and you're, like, suffering just trying to get through the day. Like, go home. You are going through more than I can ever imagine just being nine months pregnant. So, like, go home. Put your feet up. There's nothing wrong with that. And I wanted so bad to go tell her that. And I didn't, obviously. But um, it just kind of hit me. Like, man, this, this just doesn't seem right.
3: Yeah, and it's kind of this like – I feel like a lot of the motherhood stuff kind of cuts across party lines in a lot of ways. And like both parties will call the other party hypocrites about like with things regarding motherhood and just other political issues surrounding that. Like which this isn't like a political podcast or not – I don't want to like get into specifics with that. But I feel like the capitalism touting people um, and the – just the, I guess, the less uh, family-oriented people seem to, or, like, aspects of both parties seem to have won out. You know what I'm like? The the least supportive of motherhood aspects of both parties, I guess, seem to have won out insofar as, like, um, femininity is not valued in its truest sense um, and, like, motherhood isn't valued or or devalued um, and kind of separated from, a lot of, like, traditional marital values, like, on the left. And then also, like, um, just women are reduced to, like, their working, labor, capital, performing capabilities by the right, you know. I think it's easiest to, like, critique maybe the right-wing folks on this front because, like, as much as, like, they tout family values and supporting families and all this sort of stuff, like, yeah, like, the whole, like, unfettered capitalism side of things like is not good for moms. <laughs> you know like to just like the si- the situation you pointed out Ross. Um and like I think capitalism does um is like sexist in in a lot of regards in that like if you reduce people to their like wage earning abilities or you reduce people to their capital building abilities like yeah just the sheer fact that women give birth like is going to put them at a disadvantage and like they're either going to have to suffer with towels around their necks or they're going to have to um, not get paid as much or not, like, be as productive. And, you know, if, in like, this kind of raw, brute, productivity-measuring world, like, they're going to get, they're going to have to pay for that in one way or another, you know. And it's sad. Um, it's sad that, like, you've got. Yeah, both sides, I think, pressuring moms or, and, and, like, devaluing different aspects of motherhood and overvaluing um, just other, specks, other aspects of human life in a way that, um, yeah, I think is a recipe for, for just a lot of, like, unhappy women. Because, I mean, like, Car- Carrie Gress, I think, pushes back, like, really well in this speech about a lot of, um, yeah, I think she pushes back, I think, more explicitly on, like, a lot of the left-wing concepts of motherhood or or devaluing motherhood um this sort of like feminist i'm not just a mom i can do what i want you know and i feel like that marries well into like the more right-wing like capitalist approach you know where it's like yeah you can do what you want you can make us a lot of money and that's it you know and not like like ross said not value the mother
0: as such um more, more often than not, you know, the right answer is is somewhere, somewhere in the middle, right? And um, with yeah, okay, so you know, I I've mentioned before with you guys, um, and have have shared it substantially by now, and and uh, and such, um, but but the story. For young adults saying, uh, nine, late 9 to um, early, mid, 14 year old girls, um, the story, a uh, fictional story called Mel and Grady, about a girl and her dog, um, and what I try, what I try to capture in this story is how a young girl might go about identifying these things within her namely strength and elegance and how does one go how's a young girl go about identifying that cultivating and cultivating a vision for development for that towards towards the future right and go, go ahead and throw in autonomy in there too, just to connect my thought better to Matt's right. Where, where full autonomy of the woman is like the, the left ideal, if you will. And full, full strength of the woman is in a certain way, the, the conservative ideal, right? It's like finding, finding the, the objective and true and good middle of that is the most, I mean, that that's, That's the most challenging thing, thing of anything, right? Because it's really, really simple to always believe the extreme about whatever thing that there is. it's like the the only like, how do you go about? (laughs) How do you go about finding that right middle? I mean, this the story of Mel and Grady. You know, the way that I see it, it's it's this artistic contribution towards finding that middle right because cuz art i like to think has some sort of way of observing all of these different ways and of all of these different things that one observes in the world and expressing a particular story that people can latch onto and say oh yeah my my life is like that and i'm going to go about living in this way that's sort of like that in order to get to this point um. So it's like, what? <clears throat> what are the stories about women/slash moms that are attractive, popular? Not necessarily right, um, but they're the ones that are popular, attractive. People latch on to, um, and young women are shaping their lives around from the best best of our sense
3: besides mel and grady
0: besides mel and grady
3: (laughs) i mean i think one narrative perhaps is like the mom who quote has it all might be like one extreme so like working mom um either has a part time if not full time job but still like does a lot for the kids and like does that sort of stuff i think that might be like one narrative so to speak that's out there um i think a lot of folks i mean there's also like i think the often like mischaracterized like stay at home mom would be the other end of that spectrum um if you want to like have a narrative uh, like are, are you asking more for, like, specific, like, characters in art? Um, and...
0: Yeah, I'm looking okay. more for specifics. I mean, what you got is fine. But, yeah, specifics do you think yeah. of one? I don't really watch
3: movies or TV, so.
1: I mean, I think we can all picture, like, the stereotypes. Like, there's the, you know, conservative mom that has six kids and they're all super well-behaved and she has them in church. And then there's the hardworking mom that has a one or maybe two kids and, you know, works a full-time job and is super busy at work and that type of thing. So I think there's a lot of, like, stereotypes out there, um, which I don't think is fair. And I think most people would recognize that if you asked them. Something that hit me a little bit, I don't know if this perfectly answers your question, but um, I remembered something. I just looked up the quote, and I don't have – I have not read the full – text of this so president macron is welcome to come on if he wants to explain himself further um but the president of france there's a quote that said um educated women don't have big families or lots of kids one or the other i guess i can't say quote if i don't have it in front of me but um it's one or the other and the there was like a facebook meme when amy coney barrett was about to be um nominated for the supreme court that said watch me because she's got like seven kids and she's a supreme court justice um so I just that kind of struck me a little bit and obviously like Annie Coney Barrett's very present in the news right now after Roe v Wade just got overturned um, and a lot of people love her and a lot of people hate her. Um, I like her. I think she gets a lot of slack she shouldn't take. But... I
0: I saw her at mass a couple of weeks ago. I went to mass with her. Really
1: <laughs> her where fam- at
0: at South Bend uh, her yeah. Fam- not- her yep. family is very well behaved. They sat <laughs> in the middle not in the front or the back, just like a good American.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, but I like that kind of hit me a little bit. Like he presented at least the stereotype I was saying, that's what I was trying to say. Like when that quote, educated women don't have big families or lots of kids, whichever it said. Um, and then she though is the opposite stereotype of that. It's like, watch me. I've got seven kids and I'm a Supreme court justice and I have a law degree and all this stuff. Um, so I don't know, like, that's the first thing that came to mind is like, well, she is definitely one of the narratives is that, and I'm sure she wouldn't say this, but like, at least on the surface, literally has it all together um, in terms of, yes, I have a big family and lots of kids and my, I'm, you know, going to church with them and I'm also working an incredibly demanding job. So I don't know if that's perfectly what you were asking, but that's what came to mind for a for a story or a person living out a one of these narratives
0: yeah i mean to answer my own question inadequately i mean <laughs> i think the simple answer is they're they're real the, the most prominent s- stories about women in today's culture. i mean story of uh, a black widow comes to mind right <laughs> which whether it's the most popular or one as of in most the marvel character is, is Right, I, I, I know literally know thought
1: you meant an African American woman whose husband died. Come on, Ross. Oh I'm sorry. Gosh.
0: <laughs> you guys are such dads. <laughs> Some people' well, have diapers like, to is this, a popular, is this?
1: I was like, is this going around the news right now? Did I miss something?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, and obviously there's, there's, yeah, like Black Widow. She's uh, Natasha Romanov. Her, her alias. Her Christian name. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, she's very she's very strong. I mean, that's good. I mean, I would want my I want my daughter to be strong, my spouse, God willing, I want my mom to be strong, my my grandma. Um but I but of course like one wants them wants them to be other things too. Um
3: I mean, I I think one one interesting One interesting thing that I would say might and like I I know I posted the Time magazine article from like 2013 about um, like at that point, the seemingly new trend of like um, of family of like couples who weren't having any kids, you know, in this sort of childless life um, and just kind of talking a lot about the negativities of, of motherhood and parenting and how it detracts from your career and all that stuff. I think, like, the interesting thing is that I actually agree with a lot of those points and agree that motherhood is not for everyone, or at least, like, biological child-bearing motherhood is not for everyone. Like, that much, I think, is 100% true. Um, But at the same time, like, we also live in a world where there's no, um, or at least not, like, a well-supported... Um, celibate group of people you know on, in either gender really like sure there's Catholic priests that might have like more of a presence in modern America but like religious sisters have declined like drastically like unbelievably in the last generation which like yeah that's a group of women who weren't who like were legitimately by their faith not called to motherhood and diaper changing and laundry for their kids. You know what I mean? like, um, And a lot of them do have, like, careers, right? They're public speakers. They're, theolo- they're theologians, right? They're professors. They're, you know, doing things in big ways, you know? Uh, they're getting education, and they are not having kids in order to do those things, right? So I think that that's one thing that is a very valid critique of, like, a lot of, like, traditional... Like the traditional values quote unquote people right like there is more to life than motherhood Um, there are other options out there and like both require strong capable women that you mentioned like black widow um but like there's really like for just a long time especially in america like there wasn't really a strong presence, you know, and we're seeing like now a generation that grew up with like zero contact unless, except for very small communities, like zero contact with like strong, capable celibate women, you know, which I think is an interesting. Okay.
0: But to push, push on that point a little bit, um, does that mean then that the, if you, if you don't feel called to motherhood, um, then you are probably called to become a sister. Um, maybe, I don't know. I mean, like
3: we, we believe like, and I, I know I can speak for the three of us here, but like, um, I mean, most Christians believe there's some sort of connection between marriage, sex and family. And, like, keeping that connection intact is an important thing. That's something that, like, most of the modern world disagrees with. Um, So, like, insofar as, like, you think that connection needs to be very, like, maintain, you know, that needs to be an integral thing. You know, all of those things need to be, like, integrated with one another. Then, like, yeah, if... If you are called, like I think they're very real people who, like there's a religious sister who works at our hospital as like an engineer, like a biomedical engineer. I don't know her exact title or, or expertise, but some sort of like very um, intellectual, um, like or a lot of training, more knowledge than I'll ever have about that stuff, you know. Um, but she's a religious sister. So she goes to work and she has like kind of normal hours, so to speak. Um, and then she goes home to her community and they do their prayers together and they do you know live out their community life in whatever way they do Um, but like to some degree yeah like um, and of course there are married people who can't have kids like there's fertility issues like that's a whole different calling that like maybe we're not going to get into in this talk but um, but yeah like I would say if you are I mean it's a very real calling in like a variety of ways and like There are women who are called to both, right, being a mother of a child and working, right? Like, I work with several of them, like good women, like faithful women. Um, Even if they're not faithful, I know they're just taking good care of their families, and they love them. And they also, like, really value their career, and they love helping people in their career. So, like, yeah, there's callings on all ends of that spectrum. So like, it's not like necessarily either career and celibacy or motherhood and nothing, you know, like, yeah, there's a whole spectrum there, um, in terms of what you're called to do in life. Um, but I just think it's an interesting correlation between this like rapid decline in, in religious sisters and people who've committed their lives to things other than children or, you know, having biological children. And then mm-hmm. also like yeah that there's mm, people that's who don't want to have there. any kids period and and they're committing their lives to like worthy things like you know I know in the Time article like yeah there are people doing really really cool good things with their life in lieu of having kids which might be yeah might be legitimate but.
0: Uh, should we think about the roundabout question here? Bring us home.
3: Should we should we tease Anne Marie joining the podcast again? Because I'll be seeing her tomorrow, so I'll be popping. Oh, be fantastic! That question,
1: I assume. Yeah, definitely. If but just make sure she's interested, though. I don't want like a pity
0: yes. <laughs> I'll make sure. I'll take a
3: pity yes. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that
1: Marilyn Monroe <laughs> episode was good. So, uh, but yeah, I'll
3: uh, yeah look so listeners. I know I'm breaking the fourth wall. Look forward to.
0: I mean, um, I'm making the Google invite right now. Uh, I'll, I'll wait to invite her, but um, I'm I'm willing to give her full control over the episode. Whoa, pick. really?
1: What? <laughs> this yeah. has never happened before.
0: Yep.
3: All right, I'll float that to her. I'll float that to her. See if she's interested or if she'd rather us pick, but. I would sacrifice okay. my pick for hers if, if that's the way she wants to go.
1: Okay. I won't. I'm picking you mine. You pictures. <laughs> I know.
3: But yeah, no, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll float that out there this weekend.
1: So I have a closing question I think is a decent question. Um, what's one thing you'd say to your mom? It's got to be short. You can't write her a two-page letter here, anybody. And what's one thing you'd tell your daughter – Mm. or maybe daughter if you're ever gonna have one um like i don't know i'm not saying like on her wedding day but like you know as she's becoming a woman just
0: what are we gonna tell our mom or daughter
1: so i think that's a two-part question so like after all this talks on motherhood is there nothing like if you had to tell your mom one thing just like it can be thank you i don't care like, <laughs> do you have anything you tell your Let's mom keep
3: it to one sentence Sticky. just to make it a definite thing you know because
0: otherwise, you, yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, what I got from my daughter, I mean, sort of just reiterating what I was riffing on with Mel and Grady, but I, I could see it as being, like, um, a really quick snippet, you know, that, I don't know, might be every day before she heads out the door. You know, just how, like, Notre Dame football players that I've seen, they slap the the sign as they walk out to the game. Um, but saying to my daughter something like or exactly like be strong be elegant hmm
1: i like that hmm i like that
0: i like that it's probably (laughs) on a t-shirt somewhere
1: (laughs) what was that i said it's probably on a t-shirt somewhere it's like a picture of a unicorn or something i doubt it but let's just check be strong um
0: nope the closest thing to it be strong
1: and courageous (laughs) totally different (laughs) that probably didn't sell any shirts
3: i actually really like that i think i would say
1: oh thank you i'd be like that i gave no thought to this question because it just popped into my head like 10 seconds ago um i think if i had one thing to say to my mom i mean i think i would just say thank you and i'm sorry i didn't say thank you more um yeah, I think that would be it. I do have a daughter, and I do actually try to think about, like, the father of the bride speech already um, that may or may not come someday. To try to bring the talk out and what I would advise her, I might tell her be strong, be elegant. Yeah, my, <laughs> um, dang, that was, yeah, no, I do, do really like that. Maybe, like, just something not trying to sound. Uh, when I said it in my head, it sounded like I was trying to sound smart. But just, like, don't be afraid of motherhood. Or something like that. Um, I don't want to... Eh, I, that sounds pushy. Like, you have to do it. So, I don't know. I'd have to tidy those words up some. But something to that effect. Um, like, don't let it scare you. You know,
0: it's. I think the corollary, the natural corollary that comes to mind. Like, for my son, God willing, it would be, um... Be strong, be honorable. Um... And obviously, you want your daughter to be honorable, um, as well. My my son, not exactly elegant, <laughs> but I mean, you, you the the corollary be like maintaining a certain kind style of appearance. I mean, I think, but but I think the point, like to sort of like hone in on those things, is like, it's not like I'm I I need for my daughter to. Be able to um, bench press a certain amount of weight, but I I think it's very much like the idea to like believe that you are strong, like seeing something heavy and not saying like no nah, that that's too heavy I'm not picking that up. but like give it a shot can you pick that up yeah you can get it. get it you pick that up yourself, and being being like elegant it's 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 not necessarily like wearing makeup every day but it's. You know, boy, now I feel like I'm treading into mansplaining territory. This is all speculation. This is all speculation. And Maria'll you know, give what, us the real answers next episode. <laughs> yeah. But, what? like, what's one small thing you might do in that particular day to... To make yourself slightly more more elegant. I don't know. I'm I'm scared to go too yeah, far. into Yeah, I think that. there's a certain grace. I think
3: well, like Carrie Gress mentioned in her speech, like the I forget the it was some colloquial name for grandma. You know, it was like Mima or mom Mamu. Mamu, that was it. yeah, Mamu. You know, like yeah, there's a certain grace that like whether it's correlated with any sort of aesthetic or, or like superficial elegance or not. Yeah, there's a certain grace. I think
0: there. Yeah, I mean, okay, here's actually, yeah, there's sort of riff on that cuz she had talked a lot about gossiping. Um, yeah, okay, the one way I'm going to be elegant today, I'm really going to focus on not gossiping, you know, that I mean, I think that would be a really a really beautiful way to express that. Um,
1: yeah. I think yeah, and no, I like that. One other thing I think i tell my daughter um before I let Matt take his thoughts um So, like, a lot of times when I'm, like, if, I don't know, if I put Catherine to bed or something, like, I'll say a prayer for her, and a lot of times I'll just say, like, I I pray and I hope that she always, like, knows her worth and doesn't accept less than that, and that I somehow, how I treat her will help her to do that well. Like, that's kind of my, I don't know if I word it exactly, I kind of word it pretty similar to that. Um, So, I think I would just try to express that in some way. Like, know your worth and don't take less than that, and... I mean, I think that applies to, like, kind of like you had said earlier, Matt, like the two sides. Like, in some ways, some people could hear that and, like, yeah, I do, sh- I should take, I should get more money. I shouldn't get less just because I'm a woman and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And I, I'm not saying no to that at all. And then to the right, like, yeah, like if you are forced and <laughs> in a job to work until you're sweating and putting a cold towel on yourself, like, that's probably not also getting your worth, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think that that might be something I'd try to articulate to her a little bit is like, you know, you are worth a lot. Don't take less than that. Um, and both sides would probably take it their own way and they'd probably be right in both of sure. them um, but I would might try to say that in some way
3: yeah I think so I yeah I guess I would say a similar thing but just kind of flipped a little bit to to both sides so like to my mom I would say like I never knew how much you loved me you know and I, I just mm, think that good. my nice. experience... You won, you won that well. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think just my experience with, like, holding Abraham and seeing, like, Claire give birth and just, like, yeah, I obviously I knew my mom went through that. <laughs> but, like, just, yeah, just experiencing that in a more real way it was, like, wow, I never knew how much you loved me, Mom. Like, dang. And then also to, like, my daughter, it would be, like, you have no idea how much you're capable of loving you know because like Mm. yeah whether she has children of her own or whether she does something else um like yeah like she is capable of doing like a lot of good and like loving a lot of people and showing that
1: and all of our listeners can just look to this link at the bottom of this episode the link to our store (laughs) with all of these (laughs) quotes on t-shirts um in various colors our store is closed. Yeah, we have no staffing due to under-
0: staffing <laughs> shortages. Uh, it's fine. I I already okay. I already told my mom I was gonna write her autobiography, so she's she can't be contained in one pithy sentence like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> is the and subtitle not right. of her
3: autobiography strength and elegance or maybe that'll be the title <laughs> strength and elegance the <laughs> mrs schaefer story
0: maybe strength and elegance through the generations uh yeah cool okay next episode coming up in a few weeks number 28 that's getting pretty darn close to number 30 Whoa. that's pretty exciting um yeah we'll look forward to talking with you then until then thanks for uh drinking and thinking with us Cue the music one more time lead us to a ourselves the Dinklings. Maybe you guys are familiar with uh, Tolkien, C.S. Lewis. Um, they called themselves the Inklings, you know, because of their literary uh, Catholic thought. So if we can, if we can be sort of like them, you know, that that's sort of what we're going for in our friendship there. Um, a lot of us know Stephen, of course, really well here, but maybe there's like half or two thirds of you here who who don't necessarily have the image of Stephen that really brings to mind the sort of like qualities qualities that, that that's going on there and now I wish in the next several illustrations they could be like both Stephen and Tegan stories well one of them is and of course like I, I don't want to like give the impression that like this is like only Stephen's day but as I like as I tell these stories I want you to think of them as as in certain ways, in illustration of Tegan as well, right? Because, because as you hopefully you'll see, like she's she's gonna be the one who's engaging and is wrapped up, and is sort of a part of all these different qualities, right? Who's able to reciprocate? Who's able to to punch at her weight with these qualities here? All right. So, three stories, three brief illustrations here to um, give a certain uh, insight into. Steve uh Steven's soul. Uh, the first is speaks in Steven's humor. His uh, sort of like dry humor. When we were in college, his first year, uh, I was his RA on our floor, so one year older. And many some of you guys know I'm I'm sort of a cheap person and when I left for college I just like grabbed whatever towels were in our bathroom and one of them happened to be this towel that looks sort of like a towel that maybe was used for moses in his baby blanket it had like this this sort of color scheme that sort of looked like israelite ish and its proportions really just did not match my body so i showed a lot of hip walking down the hallway uh, on our dorm and stephen This was the baby blanket used for Moses, right? There's that really dry, witty humor that many of us have grown to love and appreciate about him. The second illustration, image uh, from Stephen's life that maybe not many of you are familiar with or have seen uh, was during Biking for Babies. Uh, Biking for Babies was this thing that myself and Stephen and several friends here have participated in where we bicycled 1,100 miles in a week for, uh, for pro-life work. And Steven has the distinction of bicycling further than anyone ever has in a week for Biking <laughs> for Babies. And how that can be was this way. Um, southeastern Missouri, there was a particular day where we were bicycling 165 miles from Sykeston, Missouri to my mom and dad's in Freeburg, Illinois. And it was about 110 miles in where the group started to get a little separated. Stephen happened to be on his own. He was sort of in the middle, stranded between these two different groups. And there was a pretty major turn that came up in Perryville, whereby all of us, the two groups went right, and Stephen went straight. Now what happened with this detour meant that it added an extra 10 miles to the day for him. And of course we eventually realized where Stephen was lost in the mississippi river bottoms and myself and another support crew member went looking for him and of course at this point he was already ahead of us he could have gotten in that van and still set the biking for babies week long record for bicycling so i was sort of expecting him to get in the van we came up to him found him there he had like these Bob Vila safety glasses for cycling that year. came up to him in his Bob Vila glasses. He Stephen, Steven, make sure you get in the van, we'll, we'll jog up to uh, back up to him with the crew. He says, he says no, we're going to keep going. We're going to bike the rest of the way up to Chester with you guys. So he did. He ended up bicycling 175 miles that day, 1110 miles for the whole trip. Now of course you have to imagine, to have that resolve, that hardened spiritual and physical resolve to do that particular thing is a really extraordinary thing. Pretty exceptional. Not something that you are fortunate enough to be witness to all the time in life. The third point is in regards to his thoughtfulness. So at Steven's art exhibition um, a month ago, I went to go see There was a point where I was looking at the other displays um, and I was speaking with one of his classmates who seemed to know him particularly well. She was actually also from Indiana, so they had that Hoosier connection there. And I asked uh, this young woman, what is the most remarkable thing about Stephen Brainy? And she said his thoughtfulness. He is the most thoughtful person I have met in my entire life. Of course, I agree with that. I can identify with that. I'm sorry, there was a ticket right there. <laughs> we found the ticket. Okay. <laughs> we'll pause the speech. Okay. I'm gonna Here you go. You need a receipt?
4: No. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Yep. Have a nice day.
0: Now, Stephen actually does not know this story, but it is an actual illustration of Tegan's thoughtfulness that was particularly striking to me. Actually, after the fact, it was actually so thoughtful, it was more thoughtful than my own thoughts about myself. So my birthday this past December, I was with Stephen and Tegan and a couple of other friends, and we were discussing, you know, what activity we should do next for fun. And we, I think we were deciding between some type of board game or maybe going out. And <laughs> Stephen, in his very, like, logical way, he sort of, like, convinced me, you know, we should actually stay here and play this board game. That sounded like a good idea. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah that is sort of a good thought. And Tegan had, had, like, the clarity of, like, mind and heart to, like, stop and say, well, oh, Mike, what do you want to do? And it was like, I said something like, well, well, I guess I actually do sort of want to go out later. And again, it was this, it was this way of like speaking into something that she saw there that in that moment, Stephen did not quite see. And even like, I didn't being able to see this kind of simple desire of my heart to, to go out for a couple of beers with friends on my birthday, right? It's rare that you see two people who perform at such a high level in the spiritual life and the life of virtue. And of course, right now, we see so much this need for two people to come together and become greater than the parts they are. And I can't necessarily imagine like what that's going to look like for them, but I feel very fortunate that it has obviously begun to happen over the past five hours here. And so my chal- my public. This is a public service announcement. This is a spiritual public service announcement. Is that when we go home tonight or go to our hotel, it's to say a prayer of like gratitude that their union has begun and that we've been privileged to be witness to this exceptional, this emergent thing, which which has uh, which has become here. So, with that, thank you, Stephen, for this uh, additional six to seven minutes here. And uh, we'll toast to that and hope you guys all have a great rest of your night. Thank you.